everybody, this is Rafe Telsch, and this is episode 6 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. So I was asked by a co-worker today, when I was talking about the podcast, and he's a person who doesn't really understand podcasts, he asked, so why do you do this? Is it, do you get paid for this, or is it therapy, or what? And no, I definitely don't get paid for doing this. But I thought about that question, is this therapy or what? My answer to him was simple. Do you ever sit down in front of the TV and, and pull up Netflix or Amazon or, or whatever streaming service you have, and then just sit and surf and not find anything to watch? Well, by doing the podcast once a week, I have something to watch that was recommended to me by someone, and I get the benefit of a built-in conversation. It's kind of a win-win situation for me, because I get introduced to a movie, I don't just have the blind surfing through Netflix to try and find something to watch, and then I get to have a lovely conversation about it that I get to share with you all. So why do I do this? I guess it is kind of a, a bit of therapy, but it's a lot of fun. Let's turn to last week's listener feedback where we talked about Willow, and we talked about nostalgia. And so on our Friday question, I asked, what is a movie you revisited recently out of a sense of nostalgia? Was it as good as you remembered, or did it turn out to be a disappointment? On Instagram, Scarlet Spitfire told us that she just rewatched Legally Blonde last night, and that definitely did not disappoint. Can't say I'm a huge fan of Legally Blonde, but it also has been ages since I watched it, so that might be an re- interesting one to revisit. On Facebook, Monica Siegfried who inspired this question with her episode, responded saying, Breakfast Club is my recent fix. I found myself comparing it to a couple of other teen movies that followed, like Heathers and Clueless, and to the kids of Gen Z, since my daughter is 18, and thought about the interesting dynamic of change. Anyway, still fun, old school, literally. Breakfast Club is one of those movies that every time I revisit it, it it just continues to hold up. It really is kind of a universal, eternal film, the way that it's set up. I don't think schools are going to get rid of detention anytime soon. We certainly haven't managed to get rid of social cliques. So I think that movie is going to continue to hold up. Heathers and Clueless are also fantastic picks if those are movies you haven't seen. Chris Talent respond, Blues Brothers. And yeah, it screams 1979, but it holds up in most other ways. Now, I never saw Blues Brothers until recently, within the past couple of years, and I have to admit, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I don't know, maybe I'm missing something there. Christy Bauer-Telsch, yes, we got the ex-wife involved, how about that? She said, Weekend at Bernie's, so awful, but to be fair, it was never a good movie. And I watched it with my sister, so we laughed at the stuff we laughed at originally and have been quoting for a million years. This is actually a trend with Christy. My consideration of nostalgia actually started with a movie she introduced me to while we were still married. She was a big fan of John Cusack's Better Off Dead, which I had never seen. So she made me sit down and watch it, and it is absolutely horrible if you don't have any form of nostalgic bond to it. And she even admitted after we finished watching that it really doesn't hold up that well. So for me, it was a terrible introduction. But that right there is the power of nostalgia, and that ties into our last answer from Luis Ramirez, who said, I saw Clue a couple of years ago and was disappointed that it wasn't as funny as I remembered. Then a few months ago, I caught the film again and found myself pleasantly enjoying and laughing along with it. I think one's expectations plays a strong part in how we enjoy films, and that really ties into our discussion of nostalgia. Because nostalgia definitely tempers how we view the film. We are willing to ignore flaws and overlook problems because of that nostalgic bond, and that certainly was the case with the Better Off Dead example I just used, and I think it was kind of the case with Willow, although looking at it with fresh eyes, it's not that bad. It just isn't what we remember it to be. Those are responses to the question of the week, which I post on social media on Fridays. You can catch that on Twitter at Have Not Seen This, and on Facebook at Have Not Seen This Podcast. Or you can look at my feed personally, which is Talon Hess on Twitter, and I believe that's my name on Instagram as well. I rarely use Instagram. It just happened to be a fluke that I posted this one there. I'm going to try it out a little bit more. So if you want to follow me there, good luck to you. So back in episode two, Thomas Mariani brought us Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, and we talked about satire. And one of the things he felt was disappointing about the Dewey Cox story was that as a satire of the genre, 
it wasn't as successful in his mind as, say, what Airplane did for disaster films. Although, as you listen to our conversation in that episode, I, I kind of disagreed with him about that. But Airplane is kind of the point we have this week, because while Airplane did make a big change in the trend of disaster films in the day, that wasn't the Zucker Abram Zucker team's first film. They started with a film that combined a bunch of small skits with a half-hour short film, and they called it The Kentucky Fried Movie. And that's our pick this week, brought to us by Chris Talent, who you just heard talking about the praises of Blues Brothers, and also who provides the music for our show. I cannot say The Kentucky Fried Movie is a great film. It is not one that I would necessarily recommend to people, but we have a really interesting conversation about it, as well as a couple of tangents on some interesting conversations as well, starting off with a little discussion about World of Warcraft. We talk about Voodoo's family play mode and a couple of other interesting things. So even if the Kentucky Fried movie isn't necessarily your cup of tea, I think our dialogue about it is definitely worth listening to. So here we go, 1977's the Kentucky Fried Movie. So you did the music for the show. Yes. So just to <laughs> to get an idea, where the hell does an idea like that come from? Because I, I gave you very vague, hey, I just need music for a new show, and you gave me something amazing. I just start playing around with different ideas and tones and beats and rhythms and it just starts coming together eventually. Um, I probably came up with about six or seven different rhythms and beats, and that was the one that stuck out the most. And obviously you liked it. <laughs> oh, yeah. As the second I heard it, I was like, this is awesome. This is amazing. And uh, I mean, it's some of the little sounds you have in the in the background as it starts. And um, I mean, it's reminiscent of the TARDIS in a couple areas and what sounds like the Dolby sound. And it's I just loved it. Fell in love with it immediately. Yeah, I didn't want to rip off like THX and some of the other stuff, but <laughs> it was just one of those that everything kind of blended together and sounded kind of movie-ish and it figured it would work yeah and this is the second or third piece of music you did for me yeah i know i made a um i think it was a parody for a review or something like that. <laughs> which i just thought about the other day because um there's a podcast called how did this get played about bad video games oh really? and they just did duke nukem forever <laughs> oh i'm gonna have to check that out and I immediately thought of that parody that you did. But you yeah. did also, you did the theme music when we switched to Widescreen Warrior Weekly. Yes. And I almost, I started doing a video game podcast for a couple episodes, and I almost think you did the music for that, but maybe I'm wrong there. Um, I think I did, and I think I was actually on one of them. Yeah. Well, we only did like one or two, so. <laughs> right, right. And uh, if I remember, it was right before um, Pandaria came out. That wouldn't surprise me. Which gives you the time frame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that wouldn't. Yeah, that sounds about right. Pandaria kind of sucked me back into the game pretty well. <laughs> yeah. As much as, as I was really unsure about um, the pandas going into Warcraft, uh, I really got sucked into the storyline of Pandaria. They, they really knocked that out of the park. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the story was phenomenal. Well, and I, I just, I love the Pandaren. Ever since that, my the, a Pandaren has been my main. When I switched mains to uh, Priest to, to try out Priest healing, it was a Pandaren Priest. Yeah. But so Monk, Pandaren, that, that just had me sold right there. But the story was phenomenal. You're right. Oh, yeah. And you've been playing a lot of classic lately. Well, I've been trying to. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it, it's one of those where... Like you said last episode, the whole nostalgic glasses, um, mm -hmm. you you remember all the good times you had and then you get back into it and it's like you have 50 pound boots wading through water and you're like, holy crap, I don't remember Stranglethorn Vale being, you know, two weeks of playtime. See, I do. That's part of why I didn't get back <laughs> into it because like, there's little things in classic that I that I miss. Like I miss the little mini game of Hunter's feeding their pets and and having to to keep them happy and and that kind of stuff but most of what's classic i don't miss in the least and some of that i like and a lot of it i'm starting to really loathe 
<laughs> you know, the whole limited bag space because all the quest items take up two bags. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and like you said, hunters, you have to make your bullets. You have to keep your pet fed. You have to keep your pet happiness above, you know, and it, it's it really grinds on you after a while. Well, yeah, and that's just it. Like, as much as I miss that pet happiness minigame, I don't miss having a dedicated bag for ammo. Oh, yeah. Or a dedicated bag for anything. You know, yeah. For herbs and for, it's just, it's enough. So yeah. I, I keep flipping back and forth between, you know, BFA and, and, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm level 42 on the, um, the undead mage that I made. On classic? Yeah, on classic. And I'm still like, uh, 50 gold away from getting my mount. Honestly, that's a hell of an achievement getting him that high level, though. Uh, yeah, but now it's just grinding for gold. Yeah. I don't miss that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really don't. So, yeah, I don't know. So I just keep going back and forth between the two. Yeah. Well, <laughs> at least you have that as an option. I, I'm not even going to fire up Classic, so uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. I just play... I'll play alts in retail version but that's that's as far as i'm you know yeah i'll find another game before i play classic i think well and i still go back to bfa and i still love the storyline of bfa you know as long yeah. as i don't have to go back to voldoon <laughs> voldoon with a passion but you do because you have to grind that volpera rep so that when those come out in 8.3 i'm already exalted oh well there you go <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one last thing we probably should touch on just for context before we dive into the movie. Mm -hmm. You're in Detroit. Yes. Okay. That, that's going to come into play as we discuss the film. So <laughs> <laughs> I just figured we should establish that that's the part of the country that you're in. <laughs> yes. And that was kind of a funny thing because um, in high school, I was in a band. It was a ska band. And one of the um, outro pieces we actually used actually sampled part of this movie as of like the outro because of um, they were so bad. They were from Detroit and that was the part of the, um, what's it called? A fistful of yen. Yes. Uh, send them to Detroit. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. Uh, Kentucky fried movie from 1977 directed by John Landis, only his second picture written by David Zucker, Jim Abrams and Jerry Zucker. And starring a, a lot of people you probably haven't heard of because they're rather obscure. And then they have one segment that has George Lazenby, Victoria Carroll, Donald Sutherland. Uh, you get some Bill Bixby in there. But for the most part, it's a lot of very unknown actors. Award-winning motion picture producer, Samuel L. Bronkowitz. I have spent a lifetime in the motion picture industry. Now, after 50 years in Hollywood, I have finally produced what I feel is the finest motion picture ever made. I have called it the Kentucky Fried Movie. The Kentucky Fried Movie heralds the return to traditional values. I'm not wearing any pants. Film at 11. It is a film of heartfelt passion, a great love story. Take me to the drive and prove you love me. It explores the subtle nuances of interpersonal relationships. Of course, there are occasional moments of comic relief. Kentucky Fried Movie is a film that demands the greatest performances from the finest actors of the cinema. Hey, look, Wally. Wally. I tell you, this building is unsafe. I invite every man, woman, and child to share with me the joy and warmth of the Kentucky Fried Movie. It will knock your socks off. All right, so I have not seen this movie. How do you describe it to me? Oh, Lord, how do you describe this movie? Um, think of an ADD... 
Um, <laughs> if you put Monty Python and pff, a bunch of kids hyped up on Ritalin trying to recreate pretty much anything they wanted on YouTube back in the 70s with no strings attached, you'd end up with this movie. <laughs> it's it's nothing more than a bunch of commercials mock like newscasts it, it's it's if you remember the old hbo uh little vignette of like not necessarily the news it's kind of yep. like that with money python skits and basically just a bunch of parodies of what you would see in the movie theater before a movie started with a parody of a movie in between all the rest of it. Uh, the description on IMDb is a series of short, highly irreverent, and often tasteless skits. That's pretty much it. <laughs> so why the Kentucky Fried movie? Like, out of all of the movies out there, why did you pick this film? Well, growing up, I didn't... I, I didn't actually watch many movies at all. I, I grew up without much technology at all. By the time I was a teenager, I probably saw four movies my entire life. One of them being the Blues Brothers. And then like Airplane, Naked Gun, stuff like that. So when a friend of mine realized that I hadn't seen just about anything from the 80s or the 70s, he said, well, you saw these. Why don't you watch the one that spawned that? Mm -hmm. And I just fell in love with this because I was a fan of Monty Python and Cheech and Chong and all that slapstick humor. This just felt natural and it just stuck. Gotcha. Well, this is uh, Zucker Abrams, Zucker first film, and uh, they would go on to do Airplane and Police Squad, which then became the Naked Gun films. Uh, so, yeah, this this is kind of the great granddaddy of satire and parody. Yeah. I don't remember it having so much nudity before. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I, that's one of the things I want to talk about. We'll, we'll get to it in a minute. So, well, no, actually, let's go ahead and get to that now. So on a recent episode of Scrib Notes, uh, sorry, a recent episode of Script Notes podcast, uh, which is about writing, they hit their 420th episode, and it was suggested to them that for episode 420, they should have Seth Rogen on. Okay. You know, you, you draw whatever conclusion you want from that, whatever they're trying to imply. <laughs> um, and Seth Rogen talked about writing comedy. And one of the things he talked about was nudity in, in comedy. And that he had, he had just done this film uh, with Charlize Theron mm -hmm. and there's a bedroom scene in it. And she asked if she should be topless in the scene because she's comfortable with that. And his response was no. Because if you're naked, it instantly kills any comedy in the scene because everybody's attention is going to be on your breasts. And, and so this and they've actually come back to this thought uh, a couple in, in a couple episodes since then, because there's been an ongoing discussion of does female nudity kill humor? Because the, the, the speculation was male nudity. That's funny. But female nudity, it, it, it kills any comedy that's going on. And here they build several big laughs around naked women and i would argue that it depends on context okay such as in this movie there's a couple parts where the nudity is completely irrelevant but in some cases like the one movie you're talking about with Charlize theron i haven't seen it so right me neither i don't know what part they're talking about if they're just trying to make a funny part where they're naked in bed i don't know what they would find funny about that but in here, they're spoofing an actual adult film. Right. Which is actually funny because it's a parody of an actual adult film where everything in it is a parody. So because it's parodying the adult film, like the one lady um, who's in bed with the, the um, was it the grandson or something like that? And the cover comes down and it's the grandmother. That's funny. But... For the most part, it's just boobs bouncing around because they're boobs. Sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're not. So it depends on how it's portrayed. Well, and I, I think you you bring up deviating from the the nudity conversation for a second. I think you you bring up an interesting point with the movie, like that scene where yeah, the, the kid is is 
sleeping with i guess he he thought he he mistakes his the mother for his girlfriend and yes. it's just a it's part yeah and uh apparently that's a reference to a grape nuts breakfast commercial that was playing at the time <laughs> now see i was born in 78 so this movie's predating me oh so i don't know <laughs> yeah see i didn't i i was born a little before you but that I, that still didn't hold anything to me yeah so I mean, I guess there's a second level of humor if you get the reference, but you apparently you still found it funny without getting that. Right. Just because of the double entendre. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The, the nudity thing, I just, I, it was the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> Boy, that's telling that Seth Rogen's the first thing that comes to mind when I'm looking at a naked woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that conversation, let's put it that way. That conversation is the first thing that came to mind. That's During how you that can segment. tell you're getting older. <laughs> <laughs> Which that, that segment's called uh, Catholic High School Girls in Trouble. Yes. And and it is it is making fun of softcore porn. Right. And but I, I found it interesting that they are here they are in the in this in seventy seven trying to build laughs around topless women, whereas here we are in twenty nineteen saying no. But also think about how they were doing it. Like somebody was like rubbing breasts and they were using a balloon sound. Right. They don't do that today. They're just doing it for shock value or to push the envelope to do something erotic. When's the last time you saw anybody try to do anything with nudity for humor? Um, the, the last thing that comes to mind is male nudity. And that's uh, Jason Seagal in... Um... The one with Jason Seagal where, where she breaks up with him and he's just completely naked in the scene. And it's expressing his vulnerability, but it's also hilarious. Sarah Marshall? Yeah, there we go. Hey, I knew something. <laughs> <laughs> so the other conversation that came to mind when I was watching this is uh, just a recent conversation with uh, filmmaker Todd Phillips. Okay. Where he recently told Vanity Fair that trying to be funny nowadays with this woke culture is impossible. And he said, there were articles written about why comedies don't work anymore. I'll tell you why. Because all the fucking funny guys are like, fuck this shit, because I don't want to offend you. And that's the other issue, is this movie would not play on a theater today. Oh, I agree. But at the same time, do you think Blazing Saddles could get played today? No. (laughs) (laughs) I've thought about that recently, actually. No. (laughs) So how do you introduce a new audience to this film when it is almost completely a hundred percent against the tenets of what society is today. The same way you would do old Looney Tunes and, you know, Mickey Mouse cartoons by saying this is a product of the time. It's not a product of today. Hmm. Interesting. Back then there was a completely different conversation about what was acceptable today. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you get to the um, danger seekers section. Oh, the daredevil. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That there's so for those who have not seen the movie, it's a, a short, it's like a two minutes, one of the shortest segments of the film. And it's about Rex Kramer danger seeker. And you watch him suit up in a evil Knievel type outfit. He's got the jumpsuit. He's got the helmet. Uh, and it looks like he's getting ready to go do this impressive stunt. And the announcer is telling us about how he's in, he's seeking danger, and he walks down the street into the middle of a back alley craps game with a yeah. bunch of black men, and says the n word, and then takes off running. Yeah, they're just shooting dice. <laughs> yeah, no, that would not play today. I was a little. I, I I don't know. My response to this movie is is very challenged because of because of that. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple that'll make you go, whoa. And there's other ones that just go right by you. Well, and the and the preeminent piece of the movie is that Fistful of Yen parody. It, it runs almost half the movie's running time. And all I could think while I was watching it is about the recent controversy uh, regarding Bruce Lee in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. So would even that sort of thing play today? And I think if it was done as something like Shaolin soccer or, or such, then maybe it could pass, but being done by a couple of white guys. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. I- interesting. Looking at it from the critical side of things, it has an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, but only a 66% on the audience side. 
Dave Kerr of the Chicago Reader described it as a well-above-average sketch film from 1977 highlighted by lengthy, hilarious, deadpan kung fu parody, A Fistful of Yen. Though the director was a young John Landis, it was his second film. The dominant personalities are the writers, the Jim Abrams, David Zucker, Jerry Zucker team that went on to do Airplane and Top Secret. It's easy to do spoof cliches. It's something else, again, to string them together with the insight into narrative structure these boys evidence. And on the flip side, Lawrence Van Gelder of the New York Times said, It is little wonder, then, that the Kentucky Fried movie, being freed from the restraints of television, though not from its inherent defects, occasionally descends into juvenile tastelessness, a dignified woman using four-letter words, a board game built around the assassination of President Kennedy, a charity appeal involving a child's corpse. Other episodes, such as the one involving a television newscaster suddenly aware that he can see into the room of a lovemaking couple, last so long that the joke is dissipated by boredom, and in this case crosses the line from humor to an exercise in prurience. Lots of people will probably like the Kentucky Fried movie, just as they like Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's hamburgers, but popularity is still no reason for deifying mediocrity. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> Which one? The negative or the positive? Both. <laughs> De- definitely both. Just because it, it it literally covers the entire scope of the movie, because there's parts of it where, like, the newscaster, the, what is it, the 11 o'clock news guy at the very end, who's mm-hmm. breaking the fourth wall and watching the people make out. Yes. Um, they don't do that again till Deadpool. <laughs> you know, in movies, at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do it some. I mean, Ferris Bueller breaks the fourth, fourth wall and talks straight to the audience. And, well, that's true. But- but yeah, Deadpool definitely does it on a level that is akin to this movie. Right, for a humorous aspect. I mean, the movie the movie opens with the line, the popcorn you're eating right now has been pissed in, news at 11. <laughs> yes. And I think that really kind of sets the pace for the entire film. Well, even the music. I mean, it, it's kind of like a Spike Jones style, uh, like a comedy sound. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the lady even trips up trying to sing it. <laughs> yeah, and I wondered if that was going to pay off somewhere, and it didn't. And I think that's one of the things that surprised me with this film is a lack of callbacks to what came before. There are a couple, but there's only a couple. Right. Most of the film's sketches just sit on their own. And that's one thing that, you know, as a kid, I always wondered, you know, because there's like the arrow that shoots – Um, Yes. Occasionally throughout the thing. But I didn't know if there was like an overarching theme. And it doesn't seem to be. Because like in Monty Python stuff, you kind of have this overarching, at least for an episode of like um, um, Flying Circus, you have this overarching episode uh, theme. This really doesn't. It's just stuff. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned Monty Python because that's one of the things I was kind of looking for is like in Holy Grail, you have the police detective trying to track down the murder from the beginning of the film. Right. And throughout the film, they come back to that and that ends up being kind of the resolution of the film is that storyline. And so like when you had the arrow the two times at the beginning, simply because they're, what were they, Sagittarius's or Virgo's? Uh, something. Well, that's uh, one of them. I don't Yeah. Oh, Gemini. They were Gemini. Yeah, Gemini's. Uh, and that is that is one of the few things that gets a callback later in the film, but I was waiting for them to do something with that, like where's the archer or I don't know something right or even the the um the the football player who who breaks through the wall a couple times big Jim slim big Jim slim I thought he was gonna do something and just because he broke through in the movie right I, I didn't know if that was gonna come through at the end and you know break the camera or something and it never does. No, know, um, it doesn't seem to have any real connection to the rest of it. And I, I think that's I, I, I wonder if that's the mark of their inexperience or if that even if they had the chance to do this over again today, that they would just have them be isolated segments. I don't know if they'd even try doing something like this again. Yeah, well, they, they had a, they had a lot of trouble selling it at the time, so I guarantee you they wouldn't try, but just hypothetically, I guess. Yeah, from what I hear, it was they had to go private to even get it on the movie screen. Yeah, it was made for $650,000. That was it? That was it. That's the budget for this film. <laughs> so they went, really went like a um, uh, hangover for this. Yeah. So when I say like the most of like they they've kind of shoved all the big names into one section, that's why, because that's all they could afford. Almost yeah. all the rest of the movie. You know, you've got some SCTV actors in there. You've got some groundlings in there, but they're they're not really anybody who rose up and became famous. Right. 
I mean, you got Keith or Keith or Sutherland, you know, falling on his McDonald face. McDonald Sutherland. Donald, yeah. Donald, yeah. But it, he literally drops a cake. Yes. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's he walks across a room and falls into a cake. That's that's it. <laughs> that's all he does. <laughs> so you don't think this would play well today, which I, I agree with. I just I, I'm I'm yeah. <laughs> I I had never seen this before, and I'm just kind of shocked at trying to get my brain around what I what I saw. Well, and that's why I kind of said, you know, after I watched it, you know, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I texted you real quick and I'm like, I don't know if this is a per, a, a good movie to review. Just right. Because I don't know if we could talk about this for one, an hour, and two, if it's even relevant today. <laughs> well, I, I definitely think it has some relevance. And I mean, again, like bringing up that Todd Phillips quote about comedy. Yeah. And, and my general feeling is, I think he's wrong. Woke culture hasn't killed comedy. It's required it to adapt, but is that necessarily a bad thing? And so, yeah, maybe they couldn't make this movie today. I mean, there's no maybe about it. They couldn't make this movie today. But I feel like if they're skilled in their craft, they could make something else. And see, I could see people that are content creators online making something like this. Mm-hmm. Like YouTube creators or what's the other one? Like um, uh, the people who make videos on Twitch or TikTok, TikTok, those simply because those are short, funny. Most of them aren't over a minute or two. And if they stream them all together and publish them on YouTube, that would fit this perfectly. And most of them are parodies of something else. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point. This is almost the precursor of that. Just all shoved together. I mean, I could definitely see someone doing taking this approach and doing a, a three-minute spoof here, and then two weeks later, they release a 10-minute spoof, and then two weeks later, they release a minute spoof, you know? Right. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think it has relevance in that. I also think it has relevance in that you can see the fingerprints of things to come in this movie. Oh, without question. I mean, you can see, especially for Zucker Abrams Zucker, you can see the foundation laid for airplane here, especially in the um, courtroom scene. Oh, clearly, you know, with the uh, <laughs> stenographer being flamboyant and vocal in a way that you see in in airplane. Yeah, um, you can see in that that courtroom scene as well, but also in the way the spy aspect of Fistful of Yen, you can see the foundation being laid for Police Squad and the Naked Gun. Oh, yeah. So and and uh, I wrote what else I wrote down another thing that was very obvious as far as like a, a foundational thing. Oh, like they have the little commercial for the night night X painkiller medication. Oh yeah, and all I could think was Dennis Leary's take on Nyquil and his no cure for cancer yeah. uh, routine. You know, I mean, it's like there, this, this has a foundation that other people have built on, and it has a foundation that people can build on. So I do think there's relevance to it. Yeah. If you can, if you can get through the '70s era comedy, oh, this thing is dripping with '70s nostalgia, no question. I mean, the, like the um, what was the one lady who's like introducing people into her house? Is Harvey still smoking those cigars? Yeah. <laughs> Did somebody shit in here? <laughs> <laughs> That was just priceless. <laughs> but I mean, didn't you say like um, these guys also did Top Secret? Yes. I mean, half of this stuff walked right into Top Secret too. Right. So it's the same stuff. Interesting p- piece of trivia. This is, you know, John Landis' second film. Mm-hmm. It is also his second consecutive film to feature a gorilla. There was one in his first film, Schlock. Okay. And when I read that, my first thought was, didn't John Landis direct Trading Places? Which he did. Which With also a features a gorilla. gorillas? <laughs> <laughs> that was my question. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's relevance for this movie. For, for me, I, again, I had not seen this movie until this week. It, I'd it, it like had... to apologize ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but what's interesting to me is I, I remember having one of those 365 calendars, you know, the, the tear a page off each day calendars. Oh, yeah. Back in the, it had to be the late 80s or early 90s. 
that I had this. And, you know, that's, that's how far back my love of film stems from. And I was given this calendar of great movies. Mm -hmm. And I remember this movie being mentioned on that calendar as a great movie that people need to see. There's only two movies from that calendar that I remember. And this is one of them. And I had not seen it until this point. But as soon as you recommended it, it was like, oh, yeah, I wanted to see that at some point because that goes back to my youth. Please don't tell me this is in like the Criterion Collection or something. No, <laughs> that's another thing I wanted to talk with you about. I'm glad you mentioned that. The other movie, by the way, just so that I'm not leaving listeners hanging out there. The other movie was Blood Simple. Okay. Far better movie. <laughs> by the way that was the coen brothers first film okay um so uh, no i this is not in the criterion collection no <laughs> it is currently streaming on amazon prime but yes. i did not know that when you and i first talked about this it wasn't available on prime no, no it was no, available no. on voodoo or which voodoo is, right which is where i got it which is where i got it as well i had not used voodoo until watching this movie and if you watch it for free, you get a couple of commercial interruptions to the film, which with a movie like this, no big deal. I right. probably would have been ticked off if this had been, you know, something with a, a compelling, drawn out plot. But with this broken into segments already, perfect movie to have some commercial interruptions. Right. If it was an actual like like IP man or something. Eh. <laughs> right. Right. So but one of the commercials or several of the commercials were for Voodoo's family play. Did you see any of this? No. Okay. So Voodoo has this setup. They're they're trying to be family family friendly. Let's remember this is the people who give you Walmart. Yeah. They ha so they advertise, you know, that you can set up an account for your kid and you can lock it to certain content so they can access the streaming service, but they're locked out of certain movies. But they also have this thing called Voodoo Play, where you can tell it what you don't want to see, violence, nudity, language. And essentially, it edits the movie as it streams it to you. And the example they used was a scene from Aquaman, where they show in one, one half of the screen the longer scene and the, the other half the shorter scene, where in the scene – and I haven't seen Aquaman in his entirety, but he is in a fight with a dude and he throws his trident at the guy. And, that's, and then he walks away. In the shorter version, in the longer version, they, the fight continues. But what Voodoo essentially is doing is editing out that. And I'm horrified by that thought. So wait, you can actually tell this thing to say, I don't want any nudity, cursing, uh, violence, blah, 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 blah. And it and, will jump around those segments of a movie. And you can then say, I want to see Scarface. And it's going to be a 13 minute movie. <laughs> hey, this one's only going to be a 30 second movie. <laughs> That's the impression that the advertising, again, I haven't used it. This is my first time hearing of it, but that was the impression I got was, yeah, it's it's going to edit that stuff out as you watch it. It's going to shorten the film by however much in order to do that. That's weird. I'm horrified by this idea. Why would you want to see that? Why bother buying a movie? Because you want to see the movie, but you don't want to see. I mean, it's like, I remember when Fox was advertising that they'd acquired the rights to Pulp Fiction. And all I could think was, it's going to be a 30-minute 30, 30 movie. It's it's two and a half hours, and it's going to be 30 minutes. You know, I remember, I, th I think it was Fox again, that they got the rights to air broadcast TV version of The Sopranos. Well, do you remember um, um, Snakes on a Plane? I never saw it on broadcast. I only saw that movie in the theater. Go to YouTube. Check out the PG version of monkey flying snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. It is the funniest thing you've ever seen. They, they had Samuel L. Jackson overdub every curse word. It's hilarious. I love some overdubbed Samuel Jackson curse words. My absolute, oh. like I wish the DVD of die hard with a vengeance offered the broadcast version because it's hilarious to watch. Yes. Like he tells, uh, John McClane, I don't like you because you're a racist melon farmer. Yes. Those and I'm are like, brilliant. oh, that's brilliant. But that's <laughs> editing it. That's editing it for television. Right. For, not uh, for just a clip. It. It's not just, okay, on demand, I can have this movie edited to meet my personal tastes. Right. It's just not a hard clip. I don't understand that. I have a real issue with it. I'm going to have to put some more research into it, but I have a real issue with this. And those are the commercials that are playing during this film. See, I didn't see that one. 
I saw one hmm. advertising Sam's Club and uh, like photos at Walmart. <laughs> Maybe it figured because I'm watching Kentucky Fried Movie, I, I'm already, you know, elbow deep in this thing. It doesn't matter if I'm getting the censored version or not. <laughs> well, I get. I mean, that's my question: is if you're going to offer a streaming service that is going to potentially edit content, why would you put movies like this on there? Right. I mean, it's like you said, why would you bother? Like, why would you try and watch Scarface if you're going to edit out the nudity and curse words and violence? Right. You know, and man. All right. Let's let's get back to (laughs) I told you we'd fill an hour. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, Let's get back to uh, the Kentucky Fried movie. So what's your favorite segment? Oh, there's there's a couple. Um and I want to save the the longest segment kind of for last. So just talking about kind of the, the quickie quickies, <laughs> dirty um, movie quickies. Everybody get it. Um, the the feelo vision is is one that always stands out. Where the guy walks into the the movie theater and he's like this awkward guy, and the the the, the, the like the bouncer or whatever, but like the usher stands behind him and burns him with the torch. Doesn't that feel strangely relevant to today? where we have been obsessed with this 3D culture. And like I remember Spy Kids 4D coming out and they gave you a scratch and sniff card so you could smell the smells during the, the movie. Yes. And so doesn't feel a vision not feel that far off from something a theater would try? <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> but to have everything like was it Jaja Gabor or whatever, she puts on perfume and the guy sprays it in his popcorn. <laughs> yes. Right in his face three times. But like she lights a cigarette, he lights a cigarette and blows it in his face. And yep. just like everything that's going on in the screen is happening like on him. And then like he gets up and freaks out because they're going to start showing deep throat. <laughs> and, and the usher just gives a little smile, right? Right. <laughs> which which is a very Zucker Abram Zucker move to have oh, that little subtlety there. Exactly. But we have theaters that do stuff like that, so that that I, like that one felt very relevant to me. Like they could put that in a contemporary comedy. And well, see, I remember in high school we um, for band we had to go down to um, um, Orlando, Florida for Disney and march in one of their parade things. And, oh, well, um, rough life. Well, it was paid for, so I don't know. What <laughs> but for one of their, um, I don't know what part of the park it was in, maybe uh, Epcot or something like that. But they had the, um, the the Muppets pirate caper, something like that, and it was one of those one of those shows where the Muppets were on stage and they would spray the audience and stuff like that. So it was more three D than just a movie screen, right? And one of the parts of the um, the Muppet caper was one of the rats that Gonzo hangs out with got, uh-huh. got loose into the crowd. And there was straws under the seats that would whip the back of your legs. Oh. So, and it would go up and down every single aisle. So you'd see the girls just throw whatever they had in their hands and run away where the rest of us kind of saw it happening. <laughs> yeah. Disney's played with that a lot. They, they have a, for a while they had a theater kind of like that in each park. Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, uh, PhilharMagic, uh, and of course the one that that most people kind of criticized, and I think it's the one that's shut down now, is they had It's Tough to Be a Bug in Animal Kingdom, which was based on Bug's Life. But they had a, a scene at the end when you were getting ready to depart that they wanted you to stay put and let the insects out of the theater first, and your seat would move underneath you so it felt like bugs were passing by, and that was very unnerving to the audience. Now, see, that's kind of cool, though. I thought so, but yeah. <laughs> but no, I could easily see something like that happening today. Just you'd need one of those ushers behind every single person. Well, and that's how it's set up there. There's not many people, but when he walks down the aisle, uh, every person you see in the theater has an usher sitting behind them. Yeah. And I can just picture a bunch of Pee Wee Herman jokes going around. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> For those who are too young to know, Pee Wee Herman was it? No, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Wikipedia is for. Google it. <laughs> Google it, right? <laughs> All right. So you liked the uh, so you liked the the feel of vision thing. Yes. All well, right. What was your favorite one? Probably the wonderful world of sex. Which is the couple list? They, he puts on the album that's guiding them through sex. Yeah. And um, you know, to me, it was funny because it's it's like 
it's her turn to undress and she quickly gets out of her clothes. And oddly, this is one of the scenes that doesn't have any nudity in it. And then it's time for him to get out of his clothes. And he has so much trouble getting out of his pants that he completely misses getting to go up and caress her and such. Yeah. Uh, And I thought that was, that was absolutely hilarious. And then (laughs) now it's time to insert the birth control device and she disappears in the other room and it starts playing the intermission music (laughs) repeatedly. (laughs) I thought that was quite brilliant. And that's of course where we get big Jim slim busting it through the wall. Yes. (laughs) For the first time. And that's the other item that has the callback later on in the film for just random callback to it. But, uh, yeah, that was that one was a good one, and I also liked the the science series number five, zinc oxide and you. Oh, that was the one where everything started disappearing. Yes, where everything oh, that, that you know you brilliant. you might not appreciate zinc oxide, but you would if you didn't have this and this, and and slowly the kitchen lights on fire and <laughs> the sink is spurting water and everything yeah. she's doing to try and put it out is yeah. yeah I like that your brazier and her boobs sag. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the sink and the, the, the water shoots up from the faucet. <laughs> right. <laughs> and your son's BB gun safety. And you hear a gunshot upstairs. <laughs> right. right. Well, and he comes in like he's been shot, I guess, later on. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's lots of little pieces like that. The news stories, as we said, you have the AM broadcast that has the gorilla in it. The astrology, Catholic high school girls in trouble, which is the softcore porn the feel around uh, the headache clinic with Bill Bixby. Uh, that's Armageddon, which is where you get all the stars in. Yes. Although I don't know that I call George Lazenby a huge star, but still. Well, maybe in the seventies. He was James Bond once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also really liked the courtroom segment where the, the which was almost, I, I don't know if people's court was around at that point yet. But it almost felt like it was things to come. Now, see, I kind of thought the um, the courtroom thing looked more like a. Um, it reminded me more of like Twelve Angry Men, like from from yeah. the fifties or sixties, whatever that was. Well, especially with so much focus on the jury, right? And then you see Beaver and whatever his brother is, Wally. Wally. Wally actually played by Tony Dow reprising his role. Apparently Jerry Mathers as the beaver did not want to come do this. So that's actually uh, one of the Zuckers. Oh, really? Yeah. That's David Zucker Oh, as the beaver. <laughs> that would make sense. But yeah, that looked more like, like 12 angry men just cause it was all black and white. It was kind of shot from, you know, like one perspective almost. Yeah. And it was just, uh, kind of a weird i did the first time i saw it i didn't expect it <laughs> to be <No>. honest <laughs> yeah no but i th- i thought it was funny and then I've, i i kept i even wrote down in my in my notes the uh, the attorney in that the, the prosecuting attorney horning i was like who is that guy because he looked very familiar he's a character actor he's done a lot of television and stuff but yes. i i swore i thought it was somebody else and it, like he had that kind of presence was that the one with the dildo on his head well, he was carrying it around and then, yes, eventually put it on his yeah, head. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, at that point, I realized it wasn't who I thought it was because he wouldn't have had the career I thought he had if it had been. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then at the heart of this, you have A Fistful of Yen, which is a parody of kung fu movies. In fact, some people describe it as almost a scene-for-scene parody of Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon. Oh, it's it's very, very close to Enter the Dragon. And that's, I almost wonder why they didn't just do that other than, you know, it's only 30, I think 33 minutes of the movie's running time. Maybe they didn't have enough content to do that, but it's full of references to other things. Obviously it's, you know, as I said, it's a Enter the Dragon parody. Yes. Uh, early on when they're at the training camp, you have references to Goldfinger with them throwing hats at statues. <laughs> you have references to the television series Kung Fu with them burning their hands. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is, it's building on a foundation of what exists, but it actually ends up being a really clever, for the most part, half hour parody. Yeah. And it, it's pretty, pretty close to enter the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is where the criticism of your, town comes into play because yeah. they 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 say you know they they have a spy that they've captured which again 
dialogue that wouldn't pass today. Uh, he's a white man and he calls them slant-eyed yellow bastards. And their response is, take him to Detroit, to which he shrieks out as if in horror. Well, I, even at the very beginning, when the two the two people from Interpol or you know, wherever the spy network is talking, they said, you know, we found this picture of like an atomic bomb or something. And, right. And the the people from China say that's, you know, that's not ours or Beijing. You know, that's not ours. That's whoever this, you know, the Dark Lord guy is. He's on this mountainside that is uninhabitable by anybody else but him and his, his cronies. And the one guy says it's worse than Detroit. Oh yeah, it's worse than Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> Yee. <laughs> how do you how do you feel being the butt of jokes? Thirty oh, year you, old jokes. <laughs> you get so used to it, you know. It's just one of those things. Every time that that list comes out, it's like okay, Flint, Detroit, everybody else. Yeah, you. Get used to it. <laughs> um, I mean, it has some really cute scenes in it. Uh, you know, you you mentioned earlier Blazing Saddles and like the mm-hmm. scene where he gets to his room. Where he's being shown to his room, and she points out all the bugs to him, the clearly visible <laughs> bugs to him. Yeah, I could see Mel Brooks doing that. I believe that's actually a Mel Brooks gag. That yeah, that I mean that, that, something that feels like one. Yeah, yeah. I'm here to rescue you. He, she points to the <laughs> the, the guy. very clear mic, and they just keep getting bigger. And then there's a recording studio next door, and the guy in the corner holding the microphone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. That one has another reference that you probably didn't get. Which one? Which is when he grabs the mic and says, "But that would be wrong." Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a reference to Richard Nixon, the recordings of Richard Nixon, and, and he he made that comment about paying bribe money, and he said that would be wrong. That's for sure. So that's kind of a political reference there. Well, and do you remember at the very beginning of the movie, the, the AM Today, where they're talking about the political stuff? How he got the presidency by exploiting the problems that they created? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that doesn't feel relevant at all. No, not at all. <laughs> that's, that's not contemporary at all. <laughs> no, you could put that on any news channel today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They do get into some very blue humor in in this. I mean, there's clever moments like the bugs. I guess it's not really clever, but it's damn funny. Uh, the toy robot scene cracked me up. Oh, yeah. The prison with the lost drunken men who don't know where what don't know where they are versus the ones who do know where they are and don't care versus the ones who do know where they are but don't care <laughs> yes or or the tour guide <laughs> yeah the tour guide <laughs> then they they resort to the the japanese names of well hung and then the next one is long wang and yeah. i guess because they are aware they're doing it then the third one is enormous genitals yes so I guess that's kind of them even poking fun at themselves for doing that joke. But they even left problems with the set in there because I don't know if you noticed when they they hit the bong or the the, the gong, the, the ball, handle, the, yeah, the the handle, uh, uh, the ball up for the handle flew off. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> I I assumed that was intentional. <laughs> I don't believe so. You don't think so? Because <laughs> those are normally hammered on. <laughs> but so it's this it's this scene for scene parody of Enter the Dragon. And then it pulls a complete 180 on you. Yeah. With what I can only describe as a Wizard of Oz resolution. Well, once Big Jim Slade <laughs> comes back, he can then. <laughs> yeah. And when I say, listeners, when I say this is a Wizard of Oz resolution, I literally mean they took the resolution from the Wizard of Oz and put it at the end of this skit. <laughs> yeah. Including Dr. Klon. With a flamethrower hanging out the window. (laughs) Including our protagonist in drag in the Judy Garland outfit. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, it's it's this is a weird one to me because this is not a movie I would just openly recommend to people. And as I said, there's parts of it that left me a little horrified to have seen it. But there's also some parts of it that's that's really worth passing on. Well, and there's been a couple times where I've been talking to people at work um, and – Something has come up, and I've had to reference Kentucky Fried Movie, and they look at me like a. Okay, no, 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 no! Stop, stop! You gotta explain that. How does anything pop up that makes you reference this? Well, for example, the courtroom scene. Uh huh. 
I don't know what we were talking about, but something came up where somebody was going to a courtroom or somebody had jury duty or something like that. And the courtroom scene came up in conversation and somebody was talking about it from the movie and they were looking at me and somebody else from like, like a deer in headlights. And I brought it up on YouTube and sure enough, that scene is on YouTube and we were just laughing her ass off. And she looked at us like we were nuts. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that goes to what you were talking about, about the content creators. Yes. I almost feel like rather than showing this through something like voodoo, that this movie would be better served by cutting it up, putting it on YouTube, not pushing copyright restrictions on it and just letting people experience pieces of the movie. And I have a feeling a lot of this is already on YouTube, just in small chunks. I don't know if any of the nudity would be on there. I no. haven't I haven't honestly looked. You're not checking YouTube for your nudity? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> but I haven't been looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have a 10-year-old kid. I'm sure that if anybody's going to find nudity on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple teenagers and some nine-year-old twins that are probably well they're looking through minecraft stuff to be honest with you are they nine now they just turned nine last weekend oh my god i remember when they were born i feel freaking old <laughs> yeah i remember you guys were um trying to see if they're going to be born on what was it the the opening weekend of was it jackass 3d oh maybe <laughs> and it was like the week after <laughs> oh <laughs> That sounds like something we'd be paying attention to back in the yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. All right. Well, any any final thoughts you want to share? Let me look through my notes as I see if there's anything else I wanted to talk about. But any other sh thoughts you want to share on this one? No, I think we're okay. Oh, uh, the uh, the enemy, the bad guy in A Fistful of Yen yeah. was almost Christopher Lee. Oh, no, that would have been cool. They they offered him the role and he turned it down. <laughs> probably smart. <laughs> yeah, probably not a bad move. <laughs> yeah, he he turned it down due to the character's resemblance to Fu Manchu. I don't see if I get Fu Manchu out of him. Yeah, me neither. But yeah, I mean, I just keep thinking of pieces of this that just couldn't play today, like the the Willer time, the beer ad with the Harry Krishnas. Oh yeah, that uh, there's there's a lot of pieces in here that are just dumb. So yeah, you know, you end up just kind of going, oh right, yeah, it's this one again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, it's it's like the um the girl cooking the cat. You're like, oh, who cares? You know, to go past it. <laughs> <laughs> and and yet I saw a meme on Facebook today that was like that only in meme form. Really? Yeah. It was somebody, uh, I literally just saw it before we started recording. It was something like, if you have a dead pet, don't attempt to cremate it at home because it just cooks. It doesn't turn to ash. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah. So, so now you're going to have the Illinois Nazi telling you all about um, how you can save your dead pets at home now, right? <laughs> <laughs> what's his name henry gibson or something like that no he was the guy who did the um uh, i don't know the the skit prolonging the dead one's life yes oh right yes henry gibson the uh united appeal of the dead yes yeah, which That's was just right. an awkward skit all around boy wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're like oh great the guy's now floating in the pool. Mm, Which, that was funny. I was just waiting for them to throw the ball to him and it just to bounce <laughs> off of him. Yeah, it was just, it was one of the awkward ones. Yeah. I mean, it has its, as I said, it has its moments. So I'm glad you introduced me to it. But it also is quite horrifying in places. And I, I don't see myself recommending it to to many people. It's 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 like a Seinfeld episode. The first time you watch it, you're like, hmm, that's interesting. And then a week later, you'll see it catch up in places to you. It's it's just an odd movie. That it is. But it laid the foundation for some great work from Zucker Abram Zucker. So oh, no can't, can't, can't criticize it too much. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at The Algorithm Says. This is like a lightning round. Uh, whether you've seen these movies, whether you like them, whether you don't like them, whether you wonder how the hell they ended up here, although there's <laughs> not really any of those here. So here we go. Amazon Women on the Moon. What the hell is that? It is a sequel to Kentucky Fried Movie. 
You're kidding me. <laughs> I am not kidding you. It is a sequel that they made to this called Amazon Women on the Moon. It does not feature any of the talents of the original film. Well, I know what I'm doing tonight. It's a studio. <laughs> I, I believe it's on Amazon Prime as well. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. I'll watch it. Okay. Bikini Drive-In. <laughs> is that another sequel? Nope. I have. I know nothing about it. <laughs> Schlock. Oh, didn't you say that was the prequel to this or something? It's John Landis's first film. Because this was his this was his second one. No, I have not seen it, so. Okay. If you don't stop it, you'll go blind. That's a movie? Yep. It is a series of sexually themed vignettes, kind of like this one is. Okay. <laughs> I've never heard of that one either. Yeah. Well, when you give me a movie like this, this is what you end up <laughs> And then lastly, Screwballs. Oh my God, I haven't even thought about that movie since I saw the VHS box and like family <laughs> video in 1991. <laughs> so you see a connection is what you're saying. Of really, really bad videos, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we always end with the pop quiz. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Number one, what late night personality auditioned for the role of the newscaster? A, David Letterman, B, Johnny Carson, C, Conan O'Brien, or D, Joan Rivers? I'll say Letterman. Letterman auditioned for the role of the newscaster and did not get the part. I'm sure he's kicking himself about that now. <laughs> I don't know. Let Letterman would have been perfect. Yeah, he would have. He would not have been a, a bad inclusion at all. So, no, yeah. just because his comedic timing is dead on. Yeah. Uh, number two, the Kentucky Fried movie inspired what future filmmaker to pursue a career in filmmaking? A, Seth Rogen, B, the Farrelly brothers, C, Uwe Boll, or D, James Cameron? God, I hope it's not Uwe Boll. Um, A. Nope, it's Uwe Boll. Oh, God. <laughs> in fact, his first film that came out was the German Fried movie. Oh, no. Yeah, so that you owe an apology to the world for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, number three, versions of the Kentucky Fried movie released in the United Kingdom had to omit what part of the movie? A, the nudity of Catholic high school girls in trouble. B, Big Jim Slim in sex record. C, Detroit from That's Armageddon, or D, the nunchuck fight from Fistful of Yen? Probably the Catholic girls. No, they had to omit the nunchuck fight from Fistful of Yen because nunchucks were outlawed there. Uh, really? Yep. Isn't that weird? That's really odd. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't until actually just the last couple of years that that part of the movie could be put back in. Not that I think anybody was... No, they're not missing. It's <laughs> like pushing for it. <laughs> All right. And lastly, Detroit, what happened? You want the long version or the short version? <laughs> do, you, do you have an answer to that? Yeah, actually, I do. Oh, okay. Do you want the long version or the short version? Oh, let's go with the short version. <laughs> uh, look up the, um, the race rights. Oh, okay. That's, that's pretty much it. You you have rich people wanting more and leaving, and it, it never recovered. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Where can people find you? Do you have anything you want to promote? No, not really. Um, okay. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. I think it's talent underscore Chris on Facebook or uh, uh, Twitter, and it's just my name, Chris.talent. <laughs> and if you need music for your podcast hit him up he's awesome yeah yeah just just shoot me a message <laughs> all right chris thank you so much for uh bringing this to me uh, uh it's definitely going to stick in my mind in some way <laughs> <laughs> anytime and again i'm sorry as i said several times this one leaves me in a really conflicted state the kentucky fried movie is not bad but it isn't a movie i can readily recommend either so what do we do with movies like this where our society has outgrown the humor provided is it enough to present them with a frame of context or do we just let them fade completely into obscurity it's certainly a conundrum for consideration let me know what you think you can find me at talon hess on twitter or the show at have not seen this on twitter on facebook we are at have not seen this podcast or email me at have not seen this at gmail.com and of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's pick, which brings us some Lovecraftian horror just in time for Halloween. This podcast is available on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, 
or you can use the RSS feed to subscribe through whatever podcatcher you prefer. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, although I'd appreciate it if you just helped spread the word and help me build up some listeners. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, as well as providing this week's conversation. Maybe you have a movie you'd like to talk about, one that means something to you or you're particularly astonished when you discover people have not seen. Come be a guest on the show. Head over to havenotseenthis.podbean.com, click the Be a Future Guest button, submit the form there, and we'll try to get you set up for a future episode. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This.